The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Nina Willen. I am a certified wound ostomy continence nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Today's podcast guest is Janet Stoy Davis. Janet has 34 years experience in wound ostomy continence nursing and has been certified as a WOC nurse since 1985. In 1996, she began a private wound ostomy continence practice, first as a partnership and presently as sole proprietor, practicing across the continuum with a focus on ostomy care and a passion for patients attaining their desirable quality of life. Janet runs three outpatient ostomy clinics serving different populations. She lectures nationally and internationally, has co-authored both a home study course and an educational video, as well as published on the quality of life of people living with an ostomy. Janet also participates in ostomy and incontinence-associated dermatitis research. Today we are going to be talking about a publication in the JWCN journal uh, titled Outcome Criteria for Discharging the Patient with a New Ostomy from Home Healthcare, and this is a WOCN Society uh, consensus statement. And Janet Stoa Davis, who is my guest for today, it was one of the consensus panel members. So very excited to talk to you about this, what I think is a really important uh, article today. Thank you. Thank you. So since we have been um, talking about home health care in your other podcasts, can we um, discuss this uh, home health consensus article? It was published in the May-June 2016 uh, Journal of Woundostomy Continence Nurses. Related to discharge criteria, if you could give us a background on this article. I think the WSN has the best practice document, which is actually accessible to everybody um, for discharge criteria, but it's really geared to the acute care setting. Um, And actually, it's a great resource for some internet resources actually listed on there. But it kind of, it it talked about survival skills of patient leaving and what is really necessary, but felt that patients were going home so quickly, they couldn't absorb all that information. Mm -hmm. And so with short, and hospital stays are getting shorter, especially with laparoscopic surgery, sometimes Mm -hmm. within 24 hours. So how do you teach those patients? And home care is the next step for, for many patients. And so home care, we felt needed, and there's very few WOCNs in the home care arena anymore. Mm-hmm. used to have a fair amount, but I think over the years that's gotten less for uh, many, many reasons. So it, this was kind of designed to give home care nurses some criteria and some education and guidance, if you will, on what does that patient need before they release them from home health and then they go out to live with this ostomy in their daily lives. So it's really transit. The the first one transitions from acute care to home care. Home care is transitioning them to living with an ostomy long term. So that's was the impetus behind getting this consensus statement. All right. So for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with what's involved with a consensus panel, can you explain that concept? Well, um, there's not a lot of evidence out there. It's not like evidence-based practice. When we don't have evidence of specifics um, with research-backed, 
we look at experts in the field and we look at them coming to some kind of consensus of what do they think is important. So what happens was they did a re uh, review of the literature mm -hmm. and they look at what's out there and you have some experts, WCNs, that look at that and come up with some statements. It's actually given actually to another set of experts. There's no face-to-face -face with them, but they actually do a review of the contents. They give their feedback and then it comes back to the panel and the panel has to read, they come up with these statements and then they have to reach consensus of 80%. So it's a lot of discussions coming, pros and cons, wording, all of that stuff is really tweaked to come up with the best statement to get the, the, the thought or the, the thought across mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> the item. Yeah. So they came up and this actually consensus went through about four reviews before it actually reached okay. this final draft. So that's kind of what a consensus statement is, is really trying to give some credence to what we do and why we do it when we don't have evidence to support that, but we have expert opinion a little bit more than, well, that's the way we've always done it. Right. <laughs> so we, we have a little bit more backing to Very it. interesting. Thank you. Uh, so why do you find this article important specifically? I think because, again, we don't have a lot of trained ostomy nurses in the field and these patients often do not have ostomy clinics to go to mm -hmm. so they're kind of left on their own and we have home care nurses who are versed in so many things but maybe they haven't seen an ostomy patient as frequently mm -hmm. as maybe a wound patient or a diabetic patient and they need some guidance in that and plus it gives a little bit um, it gives better consistent education to all of their patients. Mm -hmm. I think to, for patients to really adapt to having an ostomy and attain that quality of life that they want to have, whether it's for six months or whether it's for their lifetime, we need to get them on the right road to, get, to follow that path to success. And so I think that this is a really important way of communicating to someone that isn't an expert in the field, but they can do a really good job of helping support that patient. So what do you view as the top three consensus statements and why? Kind of a hard uh, question. Yeah, <laughs> three most important. Okay, I'm going to give this to you in, in, a, in twofold. Initially, I think the three most important would be related to survival skills, because at first, patients can't adapt to living with an ostomy if they don't know how to take care of it. So I would say that the first one, and you notice that the consensus statement is like on emptying a pouch. It's kind of a combination. You have the first statement says when to empty a pouch. They need to know when to empty. Yeah. And the next one is how to empty. Yeah. So I'm combining that because I can't narrow it down to three. So that's actually <laughs> one. So about emptying the pouch would be one okay. and then changing the pouch. And then the third one is I pick the expected volume. Patients need to know the expected volume consistency of output that is expected. And I do that because the highest incidence of readmission for ostomy patients is dehydration, mm -hmm. usually related to uh, ileostomy patients. Mm -hmm. So they're dehydrated or renal failure. And we have a study that's over like 10,000 people and there was like a 31% readmission rate within 60 days. I think that one was, again, for dehydration. And the most, and the most common predictor or the, the highest predictor of that was having an ostomy. So 
colorectal surgery, but the highest predictor with ostomies. So dehydration is a big thing for ileostomy patients. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one of the first three that we need to combat because that dehydration emission is usually pretty quick. It's usually within 30 days, if not a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that's a really important one. And then after that, then I look at... um, how to change the pouch because someone might change the pouch for the patient they really need to empty it right but the changing of the pouch is important Um, obtaining ostomy supplies because if you're going to discharge them from home health you have to make sure they know how to get supplies Mm -hmm. okay we don't want them coming in with towels into the er because they don't have pouches and don't know where to get it and then i think um giving them resources Mm-hmm. Uh, how to relate to living to an os- with an ostomy. I think that's an important one. Resources, including a WOC and follow-up, which is not always possible, unfortunately, but I think that's still an important one. So that's a long answer to No, it's great. And things. I should have clarified for our listeners that I asked her to pick three out of the 18 consensus statements. <laughs> yes. So that was a hard question. And they're all, all important. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend um, reading through it. And we'll talk about how to access it here in a little bit. So as nurses, we are used to looking at normal versus abnormal in our assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, in the consensus statement, I noticed there's a lot of criteria that focuses on the, par- uh, the patient and the caregiver being able to identify normal. So talk a little bit about why that identifying normal is so important for them as well as us. A um, couple reasons. I think the research in recent years has really supported that patients, what patients think is normal is not really what we know is normal. So they think that they should have redness or they don't recognize redness as abnormal or mm-hmm. irritation even. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one reason is they need to know what is normal. The other thing is they need to know normal so that we can intervene early if things aren't normal. Mm-hmm. So that early intervention prevents a lot of the chronic changes that we see when things are left unattended to. Yeah. So I think teaching patients normal, because we have a tendency to say to people, you know, seek some medical advice if you have some redness or you have burning or if you have this or you have that but we really don't give them the foundation of what is the abnormal we need to know um, and really understand what normal is not just know it but understand what that means to them I think so I think those are important statements that were put in there you were also involved with the dialogue study, which yes. involved over 3,000 people with an ostomy. Yes. A huge number. Uh, that study found that 73% of the subjects had peristomal skin issues. And I know we just talked about that in relationships to this uh, consensus statement, but talk about how that kind of relates or ties into what we just discussed. Yes, the 73% had skin issues, but only about half of them recognized that. And what we found was the more severe, of course, the the injury, or we used a scoring system, so the higher the score, which meant more severe, they were more likely to recognize it, but we never really reached 100%. So that, again, tells you that patients aren't recognizing the problem. You know, whether they're not looking, you know, do we need to teach them better about you need to look at this? Mm -hmm. You know, like we do with diabetic people, diabetic patients, right? We tell them you need to check your feet. Yes. Um, So we need to tell patients to actually look because some people never look. Some people look and think it's normal. So, again, if when you have a severe peristomal problem, you would think everyone would know that. 
and we never reach that 100%. So again, I think plugging that what is normal mm-hmm. and what do I do about it when it's not normal mm-hmm. is real important. And that's um, and, and I think a lot of those consensus statements came out of research statistics like from the dialogue study pointing out that, you know, we need to do a better job of getting teaching patients or maybe we're telling them what we're not telling them the right way or we're not telling mm-hmm. them at the right time or we're not making sure they totally understand us. Yeah, or telling them often enough. Right. With the repetition sometimes. Uh, so I found this statement, the majority of teaching related to long-term management must be provided after hospital discharge. Very interesting. And you mentioned this a little bit ago about those short hospital stays, yeah. but expound on that statement a bit. I think, again, the the short hospital stays, the quick discharge of patients, but also just their ability to retain what information we give them. I think I read a statistic that um, 14, when we tell something, somebody something verbally, only about 14% of it is remembered. Wow. So it's a really low statistic. And of course, the more that you add the other avenues, uh, verbal and written and videos mm-hmm. kind of thing, of course, we get a higher retention. But again, you think about is your mind after surgery ready to absorb all that information? And a lot of times the caregiver absorbs, of course, mm-hmm. more than the patient. But how do they reiterate that to the patient when the patient's ready? Mm-hmm. You know, are they getting it right? So, again, I think that a lot of this falls on the home care nurse. A lot of things fall on the home care nurse. But that's that transition from that acute stay and that crisis, if you will, of surgery and a new ostinate, maybe a new diagnosis, Mm -hmm. into how am I going to live my life and go back to teaching or go back to, you know, working and playing and having a life. Mm -hmm. So that home care nurse is just so important. So we need to give them as many tools as we can, I think, to to help them through or help them help the patient through. Yes. Yes. And then another statement was um, made by the consensus panel that we believe that every patient with an ostomy should have access to an ostomy nurse specialist in the ambulatory or outpatient care setting. Does this happen? And if not, how can we um, make this a reality? Good question. I I definitely think it's necessary. I agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, does it happen much? No. I, I think, you know, in my area of the country where there's HMOs, um, integrated systems, I think they're more likely on an integrated system to have those options. Be, and especially if you look at uh, some of the integrated systems that are insurance as well as providers. Mm-hmm. So they have a, a definite goal in having an ostomy nurse because of decreased cost. Everything comes down to cost, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when I, for instance, when I did the dialogue study, we didn't have a lot of exclusion criteria, meaning that I could see patients that, many types of patients. And I recruited patients out in the community for that. And I had a few patients that had never seen an ostomy nurse ever. Um, some hadn't seen them for 20 years from when they were in the hospital, they saw them once and they don't really remember. And the things that they were dealing with was uh, unbelievable. There's a thing called health utility, which is kind of a measurement of quality life uh, with an economic twist to it. And what they found was that a mild peristomal complication brought their quality of life down or their health utility score down to similar to a first reoccurrence of breast cancer. So that means that what patients feel about their health with a first recurrence of breast cancer is the same score as what somebody with a mild 
peristomal skin complication is. A severe one was down in where someone has um, chronic congestive heart failure or I think hospital dialysis ran into that. So again, you look at those and then you look at the cost when they look at health utility, how much money would it cost to raise that health utility? And if you look at somebody with um, cancer or congestive heart failure, any of the medical diagnosis, how much money would we need to pour in to get their health utility up? Then feeling well about their quality of life and their health status. Whereas peristomal complications, sometimes it just takes pittance of pennies mm -hmm. to change. And maybe it's not even a cost issue, it's just utilizing product correctly. So that's what ostomy nurses in the ambulatory setting can do when patients come in. Sometimes all I do is I change from A, B, C product to X, Y, Z product, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden their whole life changes. So very little cost and immense change in their quality of life. So I think that accessing a WOC nurse is definitely an important important aspect. And does it happen? No. Um, it's not a revenue-producing clinic a lot of times, mm -hmm. so you have to look at other ways to market those clinics, but there's definitely a need for that. Thank you. So in closing, I think this is a great set of outcome criteria, but are home health agencies aware of it? And if not, how can nurses access this criteria to put it to use? I don't think they're aware. A lot of them aren't aware of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to fall on us as WOC nurses to get that information out, maybe reaching out to administrators of home health agencies. A lot of home health agencies are big corporations, so maybe getting that information to them. Unfortunately, it was, or fortunately, unfortunately, it was published in our journal, which was great, but how many bedside nurses or home care nurses actually read our journal. Um, it, if they go to Google something, are they Googling it? Is it going to come up in that search? Mm -hmm. And they can actually Google it by just putting um, outcome criteria ostomy. Mm -hmm. I think we tried and that pulled it up. They can go to the WCN journal um, site and you can pull it up. It's free access. Mm -hmm. So it's, but I think that we need to do a better job of getting it out. And thankfully this podcast actually might help alert people that it's out there and they can go and look it up and share it with their colleagues. And you know, WSC nurses, bedside acute care nurses, anybody can share it with, maybe if you're an outpatient, you share it with your patients' agency or the agencies that are seeing your patients. Um, if you're in acute care, if you're discharging into home health, can case managers know about it so they can give it to their there are home care agencies that they're discharging patients to. You know, maybe we put it in packets. I don't know, yeah. but I do think we need to do a better job of getting it out there because I don't think it's totally utilized and it's been out there for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's such a great resource it is. It um, is. for those home health nurses and patients. Janet, thank you so much for discussing this article with me. Thank I you really for appreciate me. it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us/professional.